And we're live. Thanks for hanging out. I'm Alan. And I'm Bear. We're here with Katie Krunenberg today. How are you doing, Katie? Hey, doing well. Did I say that last name right? Did I get it? Uh, Krunenbergs. Okay. Krunenbergs. Krunenbergs. Okay. <laughs> that, I, I am not the first person to get <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Katie, where, where can people find you? What do you what what do you do? Uh, so people can find me. Uh, I have a website at kamakru.com, uh, K-A-M-A-K-R-U. And pretty much all my socials are under that site as well. And I'm pretty much an independent artist, fully independent as of right now. That's why we wanted to talk to you. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't have any trouble just typing in your name and finding you either before I knew that you were going by comma crew. So I guess if people, yeah. it was, it's, uh, it's weird. Um, so, uh, Katie Cronenberg's is actually my maiden name. And then comma crew is the short version of mm -hmm. my name so that people could find me because nobody could ever spell it right. So oh. glad that you're able to find that. Yeah. Comma crew. That's pretty smart. Yeah. Rather than doing, huh? I'm gonna yeah, tell. It was, uh, Katie Marie Cronenberg's. I just took the first syllable of each. Huh. So I always wondered. I was like, oh, that must be some uh, kind of Oriental or Japanese. Yeah. Term. Oh, God. I know. I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, damn it. I can't, I can't undo it. <laughs> so I usually ask, like, where can people find you or where do they know you from? Well, I did ask where can people find you. Where do they know you from? But, like, you're, you're, you're totally self-sufficient. Like, you haven't done freelance work. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it's not for lack of trying in the past. Uh, like after college, I definitely tried. And then I was just like, well, I guess I'll just keep drawing my own things in the meantime. And in the meantime is now just the current time, all the time. Just so what, what was your background in art before you started finding that work? What was that in between? Uh, so I started kind of in wildlife art um i mean if you're gonna go like way back to when i was a kid so i've been drawing since as long as i can remember but i used to like wake up in the mornings and watch bob ross of course <laughs> i was like that one kid who didn't watch cartoons i'd get up and watch bob ross paint and um i did a lot of fantasy because I, I grew up in montana i guess if that helps explain anything <laughs> oh <laughs> And uh, so I was into a lot of wildlife art and like painting landscapes and stuff, uh, which probably has a really big influence on my current work now. Um, so you went to art school? Like you knew you wanted to be an artist? Yes, I, I knew I always wanted to be an artist and I, I went to school. Um, I took a lot of extra art classes in high school, so I sort of had an early education in art. Uh, I had a, I was lucky enough to have a really good art teacher uh, who actually knew what they were talking about uh, as far as like color theory goes and everything. Um, but for college, I ended up going for uh, game design. For oh, wow. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, it's crazy that you said you liked your teacher. You're the first person on here that liked their teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, we true. had we had two art teachers, or no, there was three art teachers. One of them, she was very like hippie and kind of go with the flow, draw the chair but don't draw the chair, like kind of person. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them was creepy, and the other one was actually a professional artist. So, <laughs> you had a good influence. Oh yeah, I can't relate to that at all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds exactly like our art experience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's that sounds actually pretty common. Um, so you went into game design for what? Is it because games were like jumping up whenever you were in college suddenly, or yeah, did you play so, games? Or? Uh, I went to college, started in 2005, and I made a lot of college mistakes, I guess, um, because in Montana, there's not exactly a whole lot of local colleges you could choose from unless you wanted to be in forest service. So I knew I'd have to go out of state. And I was one of those that got snatched up by a private college uh. and fell into that deep, deep hole. And what happened was I actually wanted to be an animator, um, a 2D animator, but they were looking for 3D animators or training them for the future, saying that 2D animation wasn't something that was going to be happening anymore. 
Uh, so I got to the school, I approved all my loans and everything, and then I get a call saying, hey, so the animation degree you were going for is not being offered any longer. Wow. So here's your op, and this was literally weeks before I was packing to leave. Is this like the art institutes or something? <laughs> Might as well be, if not though. Okay. Um, it's, it actually doesn't exist anymore, uh, sadly. <laughs> um, I know, it's, it's bad, but they basically said, okay, well, if you take the game art um, degree course, they do teach animation in there. So I was like, well, if it's an industry that I can get a job in and, you know, yada, yada, I have a chance at, you know, like making it big or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking that uh, course and I guess, yeah, I did learn 3D animation, but I also learned how much I hated it. Uh -huh. uh, and then I also learned that while there were art courses, some of them, like life drawing, I absolutely loved. I basically realized that I was, I'm a 2D artist, like not 3D, which is what they focused on. So um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could have made better choices though. Well, I feel, well, like, I feel like hindsight's 2020, right? Oh, of course. Like none of us knew what we were getting into when we started that school. <laughs> right. So coming out, uh, what, what led to start painting the work you're doing now and looking into the work that you wanted to do? It took me a while to kind of figure it out. Um, out of college and looking back, I will be perfectly upfront that my art sucked. I was so bad. And I thought that I was decent because I was told that I was better than the other students, which <laughs> That is just, it doesn't explain a whole lot, but um, it was really bad. And I did try to get jobs at um, local game studios and I did not. Um, but what kind of introduced me on the path that I am now is a friend of mine took me to an anime convention, which I've never been to before. Right. I've never experienced a convention at all like I didn't really know what they were I kind of knew it, that there was like people that went there but I didn't know what happened you're probably like me you probably knew about comic-con no it, oh really okay I had no idea I was a little <laughs> fledgling <laughs> and she took me to uh, an anime convention in Denver uh called Nandesukan and I was really taken back like I thought it was the coolest thing ever and I walked through the artist alley for the first time and I'm like, whoa, these people are selling their art here. And like, my art's at least kind of this good. And if they can do it, I could probably do it. So I immediately just started researching to find out how I could get a table. And the next year I did. So, At the same convention? Yeah. And then you, you, did you do well? I mean, like, and so it just jumped you off? Yeah, actually, uh, I I did well enough that I kept signing up for it, and I it was like very profitable. I think I did like around six hundred for my first show. So wow. how many? Yeah. How many? Yeah. How it many cool. <laughs> years between when you graduated and when you went to your first show? Oh, um, I went to my first show the the same year. Really? I didn't do my first show. It was two thousand eight. So I did a three year program. It was like an all year round kind of thing. Okay. And 2008 is when I graduated. That was the same year that I experienced the first show. And then the following year, I started doing that show. But it was just that one show each year. I didn't know the, the, that there were others. Like, Denver Comic Con didn't exist yet. Right. Um, there was, like, other ones like Starfest and, like, other smaller shows. Like, the convention scene hadn't exploded yet by then. You have something you love, you go to college for it, the money comes into it, and you're like, oh, I don't know, what I need to do a career? What are you talking about? And then you get out, you're like, what am I supposed to do with any of this? And you try something, but then something comes out of nowhere, and that's what you end up doing. Like, I don't think that is particular to you. I think that people do that all the time, and it's weird to see it over and over again, because there's something in there. Yeah, uh, what I mean, with conventions, I actually... It was years before I realized that you could make a living at it. I was doing it on the side. I was just like, oh, here's this fun thing that I do, and I make some money, and it's great. But, you know, I was working other jobs. Like, it wasn't my full income. 
Do you mind sharing your day job for posterity's sake? Oh man, I, I had a lot of jobs. Uh, so out of college, I actually worked at Wendy's through college. <laughs> Started That's fine. I worked at a game shop for a little while. And then basically each job uh, I looked at as something that I could try to climb the ladder at. I didn't push at art very hard, which was very odd, I guess. I just realized that I needed money to make rent. So huh. I would get a job like at the um, selling video games and stuff. I actually didn't like it, but apparently they liked me enough that they offered me like a manager job like everywhere I went. So each job was better than the last. I worked at Aaron Brothers Art and Framing. And then from there, I worked a job at Google for a bit. And that was actually... Whoa. First, yeah, that was the only thing where my degree came in handy. You had a job at, you had a job at Google and you were like, no thanks, I'm going to go do this convention thing. That escalated very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I went from Aaron Brothers... Um, well, we moved to Seattle too, and I worked at Aaron Brothers for a bit. And the Google job was a contract job, but okay. it wasn't tech, so I learned a vast, uh, like you know, a lot of skills from that, like skill sets that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. And I, I apply those to my business now, so I'm really thankful for that that I went through with that. But then I left them uh, for Expedia, which paid me <laughs> paid me more. Uh, um. <laughs> That's a good transition. I wanted to ask, you know, you're as a, as an artist now, you're slowly working up to building your own brand of art and carving out kind of like a niche where you can you can make money from your work now rather than having to take those jobs. Can you talk a little bit about ending up like as your art got better uh pursuing the non-commercial side of things and like quitting your day jobs? Uh so quitting the day job, it was kind of forced on me in a way. Uh, I always, even while working full time, I did art on the side. I still did. I tried to find a convention here in Seattle once we moved um, to kind of fill in that need to do a convention on the side. Mm -hmm. So I was still constantly making art. I was kind of looking for freelance work, but not really because my Expedia job was pretty comfy. And so it kept me from pursuing it, but I was still doing artwork and like improving myself on the side. Uh, and then in 2015, I was, I ended my contract with Expedia or they ended it. And I was planning to stay with them, but they were basically like, uh, so your position doesn't exist anymore. You're gonna have to reapply and retrain and like everything. And I was like, nope. And I threw my hands up and I was like, well, I'm doing art full time now. It's now or never. And so I just went for it. And at that point, I got online and I tried to sign up for every convention in the Northwest I could find. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to do them all and I'm going to start finding out which ones are good for me and which ones suck right now because this is how I'm getting my money. Were you, that's weird because I don't hear you talking about like, oh, you were nervous or scared. You were just like, I'm going to go do this now. Oh, oh yeah, I was scared. Oh really? Okay. I, was, <laughs> I mean, if you don't do stuff that scares you, uh, you're not gonna find out what you can do. So I was definitely a nervous wreck through a lot of it. And I was racking up my charge card and I actually got a very nice high um, limit on my charge card because <laughs> I used it a lot. But everything was a calculated um, risk. And I didn't take it if I didn't feel I could bounce back from it in some way. It sounds like you put a lot of planning and thought into it instead of just jumping in and saying, I'm going to every convention. Yeah, I mean, I didn't sign up for literally every convention I could find, but I was part of Facebook groups that kind of allowed me to figure out which ones were good and which ones were not. Um, I still try new conventions every year. Uh, so in the past three years, I have enough data to look back on for each convention that I've already done to know if one is worth skipping for a year or if I should go back to an older one. So I, I find that very interesting because my day job is I, I do marketing for nonprofit and I'm, it's all very data driven. The whole, uh, every strategy that we make, we have to back it up with plenty of data and I, it's 
nice to hear an artist talking about using data and applying it to their business, especially when you have to put your neck out there and go to these conventions and put your money on the line. Yeah, that's where that's where the tech job uh, experience helped me out. Um, and also just management. Um, if I keep good records of everything I do and where all of my dollars go, then I know if something is a good risk or a bad risk. And I think a lot of people, they just kind of say, oh, I made some money, they throw it in the bank and they kind of forget about it. Or I hear a lot of people say they don't keep track of their stock counts or, you know, they'll say, oh, I brought 100 prints to this convention and I sold 50. But for me, it's like, okay, I break it down. I say 100 prints, what size, what was the price that you had them at for this year? How many of each design? So that I can look, and I even look uh, as far as what cities sell the most prints and what conventions have certain prints that are popular. So I can, I even adjust my inventory to each convention to kind of like suit it like you would a portfolio. That's great. And I, that's the hidden underbelly of the convention game. And Alan's really business centric so, with this. So that's why. So like do you, that can't to me, that can't be consistent because I feel like like, yeah, you're going to sell one. Like when you go to Denver, you're going to sell a popular print. But maybe that's because of like the cultural aspect of the time. Uh, it's like Captain America is not as popular this year as he was two years ago. Oh, yeah. So do you ever have any surprises about that? You're like, oh, I brought this really popular one. And it's not selling again as well this year. Yeah. And it's uh, that's something that it's really tough to predict. Um, but, you know, like I'll I'll release a new print and it'll fall flat on its face the first year but the second year for some reason it's doing with like really well oh really and i don't know if it's because people saw it the year before and they decided to get it this year or if some movie came out and that movie reminded them of this print um or vice versa and wow so those you, things are just yeah. uh trial and error do you keep spreadsheets of all this stuff yeah, I keep oh, I keep sheets of everything. Um, I'm gonna. Yeah. There's like a. I feel like when you get into things like this, there's a voice in the back of your head that's like, "Don't forget about uh, doing a spreadsheet or something like that," and you just don't do it. And now that I've heard you say it, it's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go do a spreadsheet now." Yeah. <laughs> the most important thing. Uh, Google spreadsheets. So, I tried to go back to 2015, and I at least was able to pull my my gross amount the money that I made from each show and like what my costs were and everything. And so if you keep uh, close spreadsheets on all those numbers, you can even look back and see, okay, I made X amount at this show this year, but X amount at this show this year is going down. So I can actually tell if a show is trending down into the garbage can or if it's going up. Wow. Um, and that's valuable information because when you're depending on shows for like for me, it's 80% of my income, a little bit more than that. So if I don't have this information, then I would just be shooting myself in the foot. I wouldn't know where I was going with it. That's awesome. I, I can't wait to have that data then. I love data-driven things. <laughs> <laughs> for any business, it's monumentally important. Because it gives you the ability to say, like, I'm going to make this decision, and, like, the fear can kind of be taken away from it. Well, yeah. and then it fuels future decisions and it lets you make better decisions as you move forward. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a smart business move. You have to be educated in this stuff because you can't just throw darts, you know, in the dark and expect to hit anything that you actually, that your, that your goal is for, you know? Right. So the other side of this, of course, is your work as an artist and yeah it wow. seems like when you're oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt <laughs> no i'm sure we're thinking the same thing but how your work has carved out such a fan base and what your interests are as you create yeah i i guess as far as that goes my only secret is i just do what i want you know uh, uh, every uh, artist we've talked to on the show has said that exact same thing and i'm really? glad that you said it too that's our running theme. This is the do what you want podcast. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I always thought that in order for me to make it as an artist, I was going to have to, you know, work for someone else. 
which essentially means doing whatever they want. And I will admit that I like being the boss. So if I'm the boss myself, then, you know, when you don't have to answer to anybody. And then in addition to that, you end up finding people that also love what you do. It's kind of the best combination you could possibly get. Oh, yeah. I love the feeling uh, when you talk about conventions. I love when people walk up to my booth because I know that we both have something in common and it's my art. And that means we like the same things. I love that feeling. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I'm at conventions, anyone who walks up to my booth, you can tell if they're interested in it. Mm. And it's almost you, you have that connection already. And so you just talk to them like they're your friends and they feel it's almost like they're more comfortable being there right yeah so what um it when you're doing all these conventions and, and and doing the art like how do you make time for the art how do you make how do you make sure do you have a schedule how do you make time for tv or, or a, a life or cooking <laughs> well i have an attempted schedule um i usually will write out things that i know i need to do and sometimes they'll be moved every day to the next day or the next day. Uh, but I know the major points are, you know, if I say, oh, I need to order prints by this day, then I have that day cir like circled out of my schedule and I make sure to do that. But as far as art goes, it's a weird feeling where I don't ever feel like I'm making a lot of art, but then I turn around and I'm like bringing 35 new prints to my next show. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I almost don't know where it comes from. Um, so you're just constantly working. It's, it might be, I'm constantly working, but maybe not always doing art, if that makes sense. Um, oh yeah. A lot of it is business driven, but say like, maybe I'll do chunks of art is a better way to do it where I'll do a series of something. So like during Inktober or last year, right. I participated in Smogist and then I ended up making 35 pieces for that and then that made more prints and that fueled for a long time well for example the past three months have been very convention heavy for you yeah did you fit painting into that or was that all preparing for conventions recovering and whatever mm. happened in between yeah i don't think i made anything bigger than like three by five paintings I've been doing just a little mini paintings to kind of satisfy my need to paint something. Okay. Um, but yeah, January started off. I was um, the artist guest of honor at a little local convention and that was a first time for me. So I was getting over my fear of talking to people sitting behind a table <laughs> and luckily it's a very small show. There had to have been less than 300 people in the whole place. Right. So started off small, which is good. Um, I basically just brought stock that I already had prepared for that. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, Emerald City Comic-Con, definitely my biggest show of the year. I always go into the negative financially before that show because I'm like ordering just so many things. I usually bring about 3,000 pieces to that show. Wow, that is a huge inventory. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I overestimate everything. Like, I never want to run out at a show. That's pretty right. much the worst thing that can happen. Like, I always expect myself to bring back prints. But I never want to run out because it looks bad as a display. And it also makes people think that they missed out on something. So yeah. they're less likely to buy something. And if it's not there, then they literally won't be able to buy it. Exactly. So I'm going to, I want to jump back to creating the art. Uh, this is something we've been discussing lately on the podcast is, uh, do you think that having uh, full-time jobs and now that you're here having to plan for conventions, the time that you're making art is a little more precious. You know, you don't have eight free hours a day. Maybe do you feel like you're making the art that you want because of that, because it feels more precious? It's like, oh, I'm not going to do what anyone else wants. I need to, to let this demon out or. Oh, I always just do what I want. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> okay. I um I mean, yeah, I I guess I could uh like I said, like I'm I'm not taking any freelance. If I was, I definitely would be changing. Well, okay, I do need to take that back. I did a book cover last year. Um 
So I did that piece for someone else, but I guess I just. But your goal is not to work for magic or anything. You're, you're doing fine. Uh, I wouldn't turn it down. (laughs) I get a lot of comments from people at my show saying you should work for magic. And I mean, I have sent in my, some pieces to them a couple of times, but right. it's not something I'm like hard pursuing, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Well, I, I definitely get the feeling that at least in your personal work, you know what you want to paint. And when you sit down to paint, it's ready to come out. Yeah. Uh, I have this big like whiteboard to the right of me here and a whole book that I actually, there's probably about three or four sketchbooks that are filled with different thumbnails that are ideas that I want to work on and just need to find the time to do. So there's no uh, shortage of ideas for sure. I feel like you, you've got these schedules, you've got spreadsheets, you've got a whiteboard and some sketchbooks. Like you're, man, I'm behind. I, need to, <laughs> I feel so dumb right now. It's like, no, I don't have any of that. Behind. I always feel like I'm behind. <laughs> I think we all feel like that. I need to go get a whiteboard, <laughs> write all my ideas down. I mostly only got the whiteboard because I feel like I forget if it's not just staring me in the face all day long. That's something I've picked up on like three years ago, right out of college and you have time to work, you know, maybe you've gone to one, two shows and you've got time to work and it's like, cool, I'll just do whatever I want to do. But the more things that you need to do, whether it's conventions or emailing people back or being on some dumb podcast, the uh, (laughs) being nice enough to join us on our podcast, the, um, you're being pulled in so many different directions that if you don't write it down, you you probably will forget it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I have like lists and lists of stuff. Sometimes yeah. I'll have my planner and then I'll, I'll make a separate list. that's not even in the planner for some reason, <laughs> but I, I have gotten into the habit of also, if I do something that wasn't planned that day, I add it to my planner and then I, and then I mark it off with a highlighter. Cause I need to like look back and have some sort of verification that I was actually productive that day or else I just feel like crap at the end of the day. I don't like feel like I was doing stuff. I like it. I'm an advocate for the organized artist. It makes everything better. Yeah. Bear convinced me to write down my schedule rather than trying to stick to it. It's really been a, uh, a lifesaver the last few weeks. Well, right. Then. We, we have the public image of just being slob hippie artist and it's not the case. We're, uh, in the case of you, Katie, you're functioning business professional, and it's incredible what you know, and apply it to art. So I think it's important that we all be organized and active. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you're going to treat it like a job, it's it's a job. But if you're also working for yourself, then you have to be organized enough to run the business, too. So, yeah, so, that's it. So where do you make time for real life? I know that you're currently looking for like a house and <laughs> um, like, do you not? Is that, <laughs> does it? No. Um, I do uh, sometimes. So it's kind of funny. Like my husband and I, we have our, we have a separate calendar that we add stuff to, and then we can block out like trips for both of us. Or like, <laughs> Are you telling me you block out personal time <laughs> too? <laughs> um, but I try, like, I spend most of my time at home, and I don't leave, so usually, like, conventions are ways that I see friends, Mm. Um, but, I mean, we do travel as well. Uh, Sometimes we'll, we were out of the country a couple times last year, which was really cool and refreshing, but we do try to, like, schedule time off that we're not actually working, and normally, like, I'll be working during the day. And in the evening, I'll I'll do my best to stop working. And the evening, is just like, <laughs> I you know, feel that's that's familiar. I I feel like that's something I do. I just need to add in the scheduling part. I, if I can get the scheduling part solid, then I'll be uh, I'll be good. Because there are days where, like, I lie down and I'm freaking out because it's like oh, I didn't do anything, even like personal or professional. And then when you think about it, you're like, oh, I did a lot of stuff, but I didn't write any of it down, so I don't really know. Um, so do you, so we talk about making money at shows and being self-sufficient, but there's another side of that, which is the audience that's buying your stuff. Like, how do you get people to buy your stuff, Katie? 
That's a trick. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's just trying to be really observant um, of my customers. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of have two fan bases-ish. Uh, there's like an online fan base and then like an in-person customer. Um, because conventions are so much of my income, uh, you know, I have to make that connection in person to those people. And a lot of those people, it turns out, aren't always online. But they do come to each of the conventions in the Northwest, and I will see repeat customers at every single convention of those. Uh, and then online, I have the fan base that are kind of more maybe on the art side. Uh, so rather than like the customer side, which reflects because my online sales are something that I really need to focus on, has been like the most difficult part of my business to get going. And I think it's because most of my online followers are other artists. And that probably started when I was on DeviantArt for like the past 13 some odd years plus. And, but wow. a lot of those will sometimes find me at conventions too and talk to me. So it's been really cool. So do you have a, a separate uh, schedule book for keeping up with your audience? I actually don't. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So do you have like practice, like do you keep a newsletter? I mean, how do you interact with people that follow you online? Um, oh, um, I do have a newsletter uh, that I don't send out very often, probably every other month at most. But okay. it's something I really need to send out at least once a month. And I've heard that like by month or two month kind of works. If you keep them super short, there's like a better open rate. Um, but otherwise, a lot of people will interact with me, um, Twitter and Instagram mostly. And... A good chunk on Facebook, which really bothered me, but I keep <laughs> on there too. Like, a, so like, what do you mean? Like, there's weird people reaching out to you, or no, no. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes, but not not usually. Oh. Uh, no, Facebook. Um, just because of their algorithms, uh, they're not very business friendly. But I tend to have. I think I have almost 800 people on there, even though I'm not really promoting nice. it. They just kind of find it really easily. Do you promote your convention appearances on social media? Oh, yes. And does it yes. work? <laughs> yes. Um, it does? Okay. It does. Uh, at least from what I've heard. I mean, I only find out these things when people tell me, hey, I saw you on blah, blah, blah. And usually it's Instagram more than anything. Right. Um, a lot of people at Rose City Comic Con last year mentioned that they saw on Instagram that I was going to be there. So they came to see me. Um, I'm guessing maybe Twitter, it gets buried, but Instagram, at least when the algorithms were still straightforward last year, whenever they changed, people were still seeing me post those. So they'd be sure to find me at each convention. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it depends on whatever the, you know, there was this thing a while back. Um, oh man, what's it called? V Vivo? Vimo. Vero. Vero. Yeah. So there was a while where all my artist friends were like jumping on v- Vero, Vero, and they were doing it. They were citing like, okay, Instagram and Facebook are their algorithms are off. But the thing that the reason I didn't do like the thing that got me is like as artists and promoters and business owners, we see that the algorithm is off on things like that. But the people who are just using it in their everyday lives have no problem with it. Like my sister just living her life and being on Facebook is not like, oh, the algorithm's off. She probably doesn't even know there's an algorithm, (laughs) you know? And she's the person that's buying the art. She's just living a life and enjoying Facebook for what it is. And I don't think, I don't know. I'm I'm always skeptical about like people with ideas about what platform they need to be on. Because I think the answer is all of them because people have their favorite platforms for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And something that I believe is like, as creators, we're never going to know it. The people that are actually gonna know it are like the uh, 13 year olds that are trying to get away from their parents, you know? Right. Uh, like all all of my high school friends, or sorry, not friends, all of the people my cousin knew in high school were on Snapchat like a year before everyone else. And by the time Snapchat caught on with like artists and creators, they were already doing the Instagram stories and now Tumblr's the thing. And like, I don't know. I Wait, now Tumblr's the thing? Tumblr. No, it's like blowing up as for like high school students and things. Oh, yeah. Because their moms still don't know how to use it. That and Reddit. 
like they were always popular, but now I think that if you can really crack down on those, then I'm not an expert in this, but <laughs> I, I used to be, yeah, I tried Tumblr. I was on there for a bit, but I had to narrow down which platforms I used because it couldn't keep up with all of them. Yeah. So, you know, and probably your audience is connecting more with you on Facebook, you said, so definitely boost that. I'm not, like I said, I shouldn't be giving advice. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> just talking. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I post everywhere that I'm active at least. And I do realize that at least if you keep um, your social medias to only like a handful, you can stay more active because if you're not very active, you tend to get buried or forgotten on those socials. So that's why I just try to focus on just a little handful rather than like what's, you know, raging right now. That's something I was going to ask you. Um, okay, so Donato famously like caters his public appearance as almost like this character, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do you ever do that on your plot? Like, is Kamakru a different person than Katie Grunenberg's? No. No? Okay. <laughs> no, nah, it's just the name. Okay. Like, if I, I, yeah. if I, like, write a note to somebody, I, like, always sign it. Like, thank you, Katie. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I didn't know if you, like, change the way you spoke or, or addressed people or anything. No, uh, not really. Okay. It's really good from a branding perspective because everyone knows what that is. It's going to be you every time. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to be, um, I mean, a lot of it is just making sure that you're recognizable in some way by whether it's your art or like in person or your name or something. Mm. So do you ever find it difficult to keep like, it's like you have fans that follow you on Facebook just for your art. Do you ever have a problem separating business and personal life uh, while you're letting people experience what you do? Or does that ever come up as a problem? Or uh, It's partly um, the way that I approach the different social medias. Uh, my Facebook, I keep it strictly art. And the only way I mention anything slightly personal is if, like, say, I'm... I won't be available for a little while or something like that. Uh, Twitter, I am a, a lot more open there. I'll express more of my ideas, more of my, a little bit more of my personal life. Like I'll share my cat on there. Uh, so anyone who's on my Twitter, um, it's more of like a friendly conversation rather than like, here's my art. This is all I've got is just my art kind of thing. And then Instagram is also just my art as well. Mm. So, when you did your first conventions going back, those didn't have any social media interaction going with them, did they? They didn't, no. Huh. And you you were still met with some success. So in that first year, is there anything you would contribute to that? Or is it just how you handled your convention setup and people just liked your art? It had to have been mostly the art and the art that I was surrounded by. Uh, so like I said, my first convention was an anime convention. Right. And so I was still drawing dragons. So I was the only person in that whole hall that wasn't <laughs> drawing anime, <laughs> which really, really helped. I can't say a whole, much, a whole lot for my display. It was pretty terrible. And it took me a few years to figure out what a good display actually looked like. Um, but I, I think it's mostly the fact that I was drawing dragons and people just liked seeing something different. And it, in a lot of ways, that's still the case today. Like, uh, mm. I'm generally the only, like, one of the only very small handful of dragon artists that appear at any of the shows that I do. Which is weird because dragons are such a trope of fantasy and they should be of conventions. But you're right. I don't see a lot of them. Right. And I guess it's also the way that I draw them. Um, one of my customers at uh, SakuraCon which is actually the local anime convention here that I did last weekend. Um, they were telling me that they specifically liked the way that I drew dragons versus the way that other people drew dragons. So mm -hmm. there's something there maybe in the style that I draw them in. Um, yeah, which is, which is awesome. No, I, I can see that. It, but it's cool. Yeah, you're, the way you do dragons is totally different from the way Todd does dragons. It's because there's things that are important to you separately. And I doubt that you have crossover. I, I think you have little, very little crossover, actually. Oh, oh you mean like customer-based-wise? Yeah, between you and like Todd Lockwood. 
so at the shows that I do where I know a lot of the other artists there, mm-hmm. uh, and they might do like dragons and stuff, I do notice that like at Gen Con last year, for example, if somebody walked by my table, you know, I would see the prints that they were carrying. And a lot of the times, the people that stopped by my table were carrying the same prints from other artists. So we were kind of like all uh, within the same customer base too. Huh. That's, yeah, I guess people have different ideas of what they want to design, like the same ideas of how they want their design of their house or something. Yeah, there's just something that's maybe influencing all of us as artists that they're also attracted to, but we're all still different enough that we're offering uh, lots of different ideas in different ways. And so those customers will like kind of hit all of our tables or all of our booths or whatever. So I did my first, uh, I have a question for you, but first uh, (laughs) I I did my first uh, uh, wizard world a while back and the, a lot of people, I didn't know this at the time. A lot of people told me wizard world was bad afterward but when I was there and I try to keep my art pretty classical because that's the kind of work that I'm drawn to and learn to paint as and I may I, I did I did pretty well and I got a lot of continuous customers from that and and it's because people would come up and they were like oh you're not doing like fan art or your your art looks totally different and fine and they would just buy the really big pieces and it's like uh-huh. wow this is this is great anyway no my question was uh do you, I want. I would love to hear like your do's and don'ts of convention displays. Like, do you go flat? Do you go tall? Do you bring big pieces, small pieces? Like what, what's, I know you could probably write a book on it, but what are some tips <laughs> for people trying to get into it? Yeah, um, I mean, if you break it really down, I change from show to show. I have completely different setups for every show that I do. Oh, okay. And I will change what I do when I get to a show based on like the direction my booth is facing or where the main aisle is. Like I have a ton of different display items and I change it around to fit the booth space that I'm in. But if we're gonna go into a more general recommendation, my first and foremost is you want it to be different from everyone else's display. Uh, and one of my one of my big peeves lately are those grid cubes. I I absolutely hate them and oh, yeah. the way that they look, but a lot of people use them because they're recommended by other artists. And I don't think it set, it really sets anybody apart. Some of them do look really nice um, if they're outfitted with fabric or something like that. Uh, but they're definitely not needed. Um, but I would say that a vertical display does help a lot with catching attention, especially since everyone's walking around and moving. If something's laying down flat, it's a lot harder to see unless they actually come up to the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tablecloth is an absolute must. And a lot of people still don't have them, which is a little bit silly to me. (laughs) Uh, Why do you think of tablecloth? You mean something that goes over the drapes that they give you? Yeah. Yeah, because that also goes into setting yourself apart from another table. Oh, um, and it covers the, and you never know what color those tables are. Sometimes the top isn't even draped. It's just like a little side curtain and the top is, looks absolutely bad or it's like a bright, weird yellow or like a weird green color. Right. Uh, so you want to cover that because if you're going to be any sort of um, brand at all for yourself, you have to show that that's you every time and every table should look the same every time so you become recognizable. Um, so a backdrop also is going to really help. And that can be one of those pop-up banners as long as it's tall enough, like it doesn't do any good to have it on the ground. And then like half of it is obscured by the chair. Right. Uh, so you want something that's visible when somebody walks by. So your name and your website has to be completely visible from no matter where anyone's standing. Right. Uh, my backdrops are huge now <laughs> they keep getting bigger yeah what kind of backdrops do you use i use uh their photography backdrop displays so it's something that a lot of people are using you know little tripod things oh really and okay i got a i didn't get the super heavy duty one but kind of one of the mid ones where it could go up to i believe 14 feet if i really wanted to i haven't put it up that high 
but my banners are seven feet tall. So I usually raise them up so they're off the ground a couple feet, enough where it creates a wall around my booth so that you can't see other people's booths. I see you're, okay, cutting out the competition. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I got one of those pop-up banners, the, yeah. the ones that just pop up, and I I like it for what it is, but I've definitely noticed, like, oh, yeah, the booth, because I was at one show, and the booth beside me had the really, really tall, you know where people tape all their prints together, and it goes, like, 30 feet in the air? Yeah. And ever since that happened, I'm just like, oh, I never need to do this again. I want a tall display now because they got so many customers and I'm just sitting there hidden beside them. Yeah, that's always really unfortunate. I I really don't like the ones that go, there's a couple of booths I can think of that I've been right next to that do that and uh, yeah. Terrible. It's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, you definitely want to bring something that's big enough that it separates you out, especially if people can see, you know, like, they look at your table and then they look up and then they see all the junk that's underneath the other people's table, like behind you. And you really want to block that out because it's just not something that's good to look at. Okay. Mm. And then uh, you don't want them to look behind you and see just black or the booth behind you then either. So I, I get your point about wanting to be surrounded by your own art. Yeah. You want to, you want to basically make it so when somebody walks up to your table, they only see your table and nothing else. They're oh, it's kind of like walking into a store. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are the best convention tables I've walked up to. The ones you can be in and away from the convention because you only see this art. Exactly. So it's again just setting ourselves apart from everyone else, making some sort of barrier. It doesn't have to be like really obstructive to you know anyone else's view, but if you have you know a black backdrop and a black tablecloth, it's yeah. definitely you on that table right there i'm uh i'm looking at photo banners as you speak right now because <laughs> well i see everybody else i'll stop i need to talk i see everyone else doing pro panels and my thought is like how do you even ship those it's it can't cost less than 60 dollars or 100 dollars to ship pro panels somewhere i haven't used them so um... yeah that's well i don't want to use them for that reason i don't want to have to deal with putting up pro panels yeah, the thing is, is um, it's one reason I'm moving into 10 by 10 booths also is having that, those big uh, dividers that they put up. If you have a wire, you can actually hang a pretty good sized banner on there without any sort of stand to put it on. So let's talk about like, so you're now moving into 10 by 10 booths? Yeah. That's crazy. Cause okay. those things run a lot. Those things run high. It's space. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the way for me to expand. Uh, I don't do it for all the shows. I know that some shows aren't worth the cost of a 10 by 10. But if I can afford it and if, you know, my my data backs up the fact that, hey, I can make this amount of money at this show. If I have a 10 by 10 booth, I can actually display more, which means more people see things that they, you know, that catches their eye, and therefore more sales and everything. Uh, so I've been pushing for the 10 by 10s, which the... The credit card does help, but it's a calculated risk, of course. I know I can pay it back, but I'm testing out to see what the return is on those. Uh, this year is when I started. Hopefully next year I'll be moving up also. So what uh, is your, pers like, you seem pretty confident at this point that you can pay things back. What's your percentage of income from cons? Like, what are, what, what do the numbers look like whenever you're getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Because it must be more intimidating, but with your schedule, with your, planning it doesn't seem like it is uh yeah it's definitely more intimidating but with each show i can sort of see like the trajectory of sales mm. because i've been doing it for three years um it's taken that long to for me to kind of figure out you know what shows actually taking off mm. and what shows i can move up to bigger um floor spaces for so for emerald city i'm currently trying to secure myself a 10 by 10 on the main floor rather than the artist alley Okay. Um, that's a pricey one, uh, but I feel like it's worth it for sure. Um, and yeah, some of my other shows I do 10 by 10s unless I'm flying out, then I just do a small table. Right. You're, you're able to eliminate a lot of cost by staying local, huh? Yeah. That's one perk. Um, I mean, most of my shows are in the Northwest. 
So I can right. drive anywhere between, you know, Portland and Seattle has a lot of shows that are local too. Uh, two of my biggest shows here are local. So that, that does help a lot. What are the big shows? Rose City and Emerald City? Uh, Emerald City and Sakuricon. Last, oh. last week, actually. Um, Sakuricon did better than Rose City for me. <laughs> they wouldn't let me into Sakuricon. They said my stuff was not anime enough. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> they were like, you don't match our aesthetic. We're not letting you in. I bet the dragons um, performed well at Sakuracon. Yeah, I guess um, maybe I'm still enough in the sort of an animated feel. Like, my stuff isn't super, super realistic. It's kind of like an in-between. Well, you're not painting portraits, so... No portraits, yeah. Right. It's all it's all dragons and creatures, for sure. And so how do you incorporate, uh, or do you incorporate original art into your... Or traditional art, rather... The, the, the paintings, the watercolors, and the ink drawings into your conventions? Oh, like, do I bring originals? Do you bring um, originals? Some shows I do. Uh, it's hard to tell. Um, I usually have to decide how much space I have first. Okay. Those can only come with me if I have a lot of space. But I do have a good stack of, like, 8 by 10s that I can bring if somebody really wants an original piece. And... I will bring those because I can kind of just throw them in a little basket. People can flip through if they like, um, but they are fun for people to see as well. They enjoy just seeing an original. It kind right. of does help them say, oh, here's an original. This is really cool. Definitely interested in getting a print. Um, I try to, but my originals aren't very huge, except for a few of them, which I only bring to um, arches. Well, you sold a big original at NorwestCon. Yeah, I was really surprised. Um, NorwestCon is the only art show that I do, and I try to put all of my biggest pieces into that show. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was really surprised that the Ravens went, so I was very excited. Yeah, that was I, a great piece. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was talking to Bear about NorwestCon before the show, and uh, I feel like, so that's my first time doing an art show like that. And I feel like I learned a lot. You know, Bruce uh, Bernaisi, Bernaisi, Bernaisi was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, he loves it when we talk about his name on this show. But he brought these canvas prints, and they did very well. And a couple other artists did seem to do well. But I, I only did like large paper prints. I mean, they were mounted, but they just weren't selling as well. And I, I, I think the mentality that I got from it is when people come into art shows and they're looking at the walls. They want something, they're really looking for fine art to put on their walls. Mm -hmm. um, fine art and canvas prints seem to sell ridiculously well. And all of my prints, and also higher prices, higher prices tend to, at first I was like, I, I was walking around people's stuff and being like, oh, no one's going to buy this for that price. And then they just would be gone in an instant. And it's like, oh, yeah. I guess people really want to buy the high price. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Norwest Con, um, it's been going for a long time, but it attracts an actual collector base of people that collect artwork wow. uh, to that show, which is all, always good. I think that's crazy yeah. to me because it only has like 3000 people um, come versus something like Emerald city, which has something like 300,000. Well, it's, it's the difference between um, people going to just spend a weekend somewhere and people going specifically for artwork um, because it's, you know, it's really, reduced down to people who go for something very specific. Um, hmm. So it's kind of like if you went to Emerald City and you pulled out all of the collectors and then just like shoved them into NorwestCon. Um, oh. You know, it's the people that matter. It's like, those are the customers. So when you're on the convention floor, how can you tell the difference? You can't. <laughs> There's <laughs> been some wild ones on the floor. Um, I've had people where you know, I greet everybody that comes up to the table, at least say hi, um, so they know that I've acknowledged them there. And I've had people, like this one guy at Denver Comic-Con, he like, he came up to the table and he goes through everything very slowly and mm -hmm. he never once looked at me and like said hi back. So I just <laughs> kind of, I was like, okay. So I like let him do his thing. And then five or six minutes later, he stands back and he just like looks at everything on the table from like six feet away. And then 
he wanted like several pieces and he ended up spending like $300. Wow. See, that's insane because that is exactly verbatim what happens at Todd's booth. I helped him at Emerald City. This is my second year helping him. And uh, he, people, collector, I don't know what it is about collectors. They do one of two things. They either walk up, go through everything slowly and then spend, you know, a lot of money. I mean, it's like, cause we price things. We have some, we have two or three things on the wall set for between 500 and a thousand and just in case, you know, but usually they're just big ad prints. Um, yeah. So they usually stand back and do what you, your person did, or they walk up, see something and just buy it on the spot. Those are the two forms of large format collectors that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, I do have kind of like an alternate. So, I end up selling my display a lot of the time because really? I don't print my name on the banners that hang behind me. They're just, there's a few sizes. There's two by seven feet. And then I have a couple main ones. Like I have kind of two top selling pieces and I cropped those and I printed them at like three and a half by seven feet each. And those two end up selling. Uh, I sell them for like 145. So right. they go specifically for people that want something really big though. Like you have to have a really specific person to get something like that. But there's always that one specific person. Yeah. It's a Kirkon. There's like five or six of them. <laughs> I feel like too, wow. you know, a lot of people are like, a lot of people say this to me when I'm at a show, they're like, Oh, I, I don't have space on my wall, but I think that that's just a cop out. I think they were never going to buy anything anyway. I think, in my head, if people want something for their wall, th there's never anything that I've bought and then bought it because I'm thinking about something on my wall. Like if I like something, I'm going to buy it. And if people have wall space, they're going to buy big things, you know? Yeah. Um, that's so, how I feel. I, <laughs> and if anything, they're just, uh, they can put them in a portfolio or something like that and just make a pile or do a rotation or something. They'll find a way. Well, it's um, smart to even have it available because it doubles as a display, like you said. Yeah. You have a lot of different options at your booth, too. Like, you sell prints, and I think you started selling pins and originals and banners now. Like, you, you've got all your bases covered. Do you ever sell, like, books of your art? or? Yeah. Uh, I have one out right now. Um, it's from the Smogist uh, challenge that I did last year. And I did 35 watercolor dragons. And so I put those into a book. So I've got that. Uh, at Emerald City, I did have mugs. Um, though I don't think I'm going to continue it unless I can find a really good manufacturer for it. But I try to be really careful in expanding too fast or too much or in the wrong direction. So I want to make sure that the table still looks really nice. Um, but enamel pins are... They're very popular right now, and it was really fun, and I couldn't resist. And also, mm -hmm. the enamel pin kind of stemmed from the Kickstarter Make 100 this January. So I did the Make oh. 100 pin, and then I made an extra one just to have for conventions. Oh, okay. Nice. nice. More yeah. options. Options have been good, though I would say that the prints are definitely the bulk of sales still. Well, that is our hour. We're at the end of the show here. We usually like to s send things out by asking if like you could give advice to a younger version of yourself or someone who wants to be where you are, what would it be? Uh, I would or say um, to always consider things that you might not have considered. Um, there's always more paths than what you think there are that exist and just to be open to new ideas. And as far as business stuff goes for art, learn it, be okay with working retail because that will really contribute to how successful you can be if you're gonna be an independent artist. Um, I learned so much from the jobs that I held before this and I'm actually really thankful that I didn't go straight into art from college because of those jobs. And the last bit of advice would be, it's okay to suck. It means you're still trying. <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. It's a great way to end the show. Bear, do we have anything for next week? 
I think next week it's going to be a real hanging out episode. We look right. forward to it. Okay. Well, Kenny, thanks. Where can people find you one more time? Uh, my main website will also list out all of my social medias. So www.kamakru.com. Kamakru.com. Awesome. There you I'm go. Gonna... Thank you so much, Katie, for hanging out with us. Yeah, yeah you bet. Thanks, you guys. Um, if you liked what you heard today, if you have any comments, critiques, if you want to be on our show or listen to us, talk to somebody else or anyone else, you can find us at hangingoutpodcast at gmail.com. You can join our conversation on Facebook by Hanging Out Podcast. Uh, and we have a Patreon. Give us a buck. We'll still keep making these things, but we'd really appreciate it. Uh, cool. That's it. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. Bye.